Help us to. <laughs> so I'm going to read. Uh, I've got some stuff wrote on the board. We're going to go, as you can see, we're going to go through a lot of verses tonight. Um, and I'm going to start out, like we always do, talking a little bit about the gospel. I'm going to start in Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read a little bit, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's the good news, because outside of Christ, all we have is condemnation. That's all we have look, to look forward to um, if we do not belong to Christ. But if we're in Christ, we have no condemnation. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And there is 100% freedom found in Jesus Christ. The world has a different idea of what freedom truly is. But as believers, we know what true freedom is, and that's to be um, made right, to, may, to, be, to be made to be holy before a holy God and to not have to face the wrath of God as um, Brandon talked about this morning that Jesus Christ drank that cup in our place for us. Verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, weak as it, as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. So we can see here that our natural ability to want to um, to try to earn our salvation is something that's an impossibility. Um, we cannot earn our salvation. The law can only condemn us. Hey, how are you? And so it goes on and it says, so in verse um, 4 it says, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So we have a lot of mention of the mind in this short little um, section of scripture and it's it's telling us that no matter what we do we can set our minds to doing good we can set our minds to doing righteousness we can set our minds to doing good deeds but without Jesus Christ all we're doing is uh, falling short that's all we're capable of doing is falling short it says for it is not even able to do so we cannot do it it's impossible it says in, in verse 8, And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is, is alive because of righteousness, but the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we see in this section of scripture the entire trinity at work. We see Jesus Christ coming. Um, we see the Holy Spirit 
of God. We see God the Father. We see all three involved in our salvation. And so it is, uh, our salvation is triune. Each member of the Trinity is um, involved in how that we come to saving faith, which is amazing. That's what we're talking about. And we can understand by this that we have no hope without Christ. We have no hope without Jesus. He's the only uh, answer to our problem is having faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can be saved. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. All we can do is fall short. So <clears throat> I think this is a great passage of scripture. It's very relevant to what we're talking about in the Trinity. And, um, and it's great just to get our minds set on the gospel and understanding that uh, who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us. It really is amazing. And it really is true freedom that we have. Not freedom um, that the world says is freedom. The world says their, their you know, freedom is being able to, to choose whatever sin that they want to choose. They think that's freedom. But for us, freedom is being godlike. It's being what God created us to be, his creatures. He created us for a purpose, and that purpose is to be holy, is, is that what Scripture says, and to glorify God in every decision and everything that we do. And whenever we're in Christ, this is a very important thing, a very important topic, is being in Christ. We're going to talk about this tonight, too, what that means. When we're in Christ, we are truly free. We have true freedom, and that's what this passage of Scripture is telling us. So we always want to start talking about the gospel a little bit, and... Uh, just to get our mindset, because it is the ocean that we swim in. We talk about this pretty regularly. So let's jump back into our study. Um, and last week, what did we learn? Well, one of the things we learned is I'm a better theologian than philosopher. So <laughs> thank goodness. I don't study a lot of philosophy, and that showed last week a little bit. But um, <clears throat> that's one of the things that we, uh, we learned last week. But we also we expanded on... Um, that word logos and trying to understand what that word means especially when it talks about it in, in John chapter 1 uh, which is an amazing word it's one of my favorite um, sections of scripture to help us to try and understand who Jesus Christ is um, we also learned a little bit about uh, church history we talked about modalism and what that is that Jesus uh, was only that People, there's a, it's still prevalent today, but it started a long time ago prior to um, the Council of Nicaea. And it's part of why the Council of Nicaea uh, had to meet was because of modalism. That um, they were teaching that, that God was just one God that worked through three different forms. He wore basically, essentially, three different hats. He wore the hat of God the Father during the Old Testament. He wore the, uh, the hat of God the Son in the New Testament. And today he, he wears the hat of the Holy Spirit. And so that's prevalent in one of Pentecostal churches still today. We talked about how that was pretty big still in the South. Um, I believe there's still some, I think there's some one Pentecostal churches around here. If I'm, if I'm correct, I know I've heard of some. So you can usually spot these people because um, they, they always wear long sleeves. The men do and the women don't ever cut their hair. They don't wear makeup. They don't wear jewelry. So there's a bunch of, uh, they're really into legalism. So they're pretty easy to spot, especially in the South. We talked about modalism. We talked about adoptionism, that Jesus Christ, uh, they taught, was adopted as God. He was actually a, a creature that was made by God, along with Lucifer and all the other angels. 
And he was better than the rest of them, so he was kind of adopted in. Uh, that's what um, Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Um, well, it, it, that's what they started out teaching it, and then it got formed into Arianism, which is what uh, we wound up talking about. And why that the Nicene Creed was written was because of um, Arianism. So that's, to be more accurate, that adoptionism morphed into what's known as Arianism. So we talked about that last week. And um, there was 318 bishops that had to get together uh, to form the Nicene Creed. We talked about that, um, how that, that Arian, the Arian heresy created riots in the streets because they were using song and they were using um, all different kinds of means to try to, to attract people into what they were teaching. And then the Trinitarians um, and the Arians would actually get into, literally get into fistfights in the street over the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, and so Constantine wanted to put a stop to it. He was the emperor. He pulls uh, 318 bishops together at this Council of Nicaea. And this is when this creed was developed and, and taught. So we went over, we read the Nicene Creed a little bit, but I want to tonight go over it a little bit deeper. Um, I did have some questions emailed to me about it uh, and some stuff like that, so I felt like it would be appropriate to go a little bit deeper into it and uh, and, and to talk about it just line by line. So, um, you guys ready for that? <laughs> All right, good deal, good deal. So let's look at the first line here. It says, um, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. So th this first set, this first line here that says we believe in one God. Um, we talked about monotheism. We we believe in um, monotheism, and so that's what this is talking about. One God, and this one God is triune, and that's one of the things that we've been talking about. God the Father it talks about here is the first described of the triune God. Um, and it also says that God the Father is almighty. Now, this is an interesting word. Almighty. That means that he has all might. All the might that exists. So we look at men, certain men as being mighty men. This is saying that God, um, he's the one that gave anybody any ounce of might that they have. Uh, there couldn't be any might from any man had God not have gifted them with this. Because he has it all. He's the one that has, holds all the might, all the power in the universe. So that's what this is talking about. And then it says, um, <clears throat> this next statement where it says, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. We've been talking a little bit about Gnosticism. This was another problem that the church was facing. Even as far as, that's one of the things that, um, that John was addressing in 1 John, in the book of 1 John. It was actually called Docetism back then. Docetism morphs into Gnosticism, which, which taught that, um, that anything that was material in the world was evil. So flesh was made evil, and anything spiritual was the only thing that was good. And that's one of the, one of the major heresies that Gnosticism taught. They had other things, but that's what this is specifically talking about, that God, he made everything. He made everything. So if God is good and holy and right then his creation, whenever he first made it, was good and it was right. 
because it was made by good and right God. So he's, they're, com they're combating Gnosticism here by this line. So, um, <clears throat> and then the next statement says, and in one Lord Jesus Christ. So we believe in one Lord, one head of the church is what, is what they're saying here. There's only one head of the church, and that's Jesus Christ. We don't believe um, that Peter was the head of the church. We don't believe that a pope is the head of the church. We don't believe that a pastor is um, the head of the church or any other person has ever been the head of the church. It is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And the word church comes from the, the Greek word ekklesia. The Greek word ekklesia, which means those who are called out of the world. And that's so cool, you know, that's what we are as the church. We are called out from the world. And the word Lord, we've talked a little bit about the word Lord. It comes from the Greek word kairos, kairos, which is the name that is above every name. It is, it's the title of God. It's one of the titles that's used in the New Testament for God. Yahweh is used in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew. But we're talking Greek, which is um, kairos. So any questions on this so far? I know we're going kind of fast. Or any, any other comments or any thoughts on it? Good so far? Awesome. So the next statement says, The only Son of God, talking about Jesus, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Um, this is one of the questions I had. Uh, that was emailed to me was about Jesus being um, begotten from the Father. And this statement, the way that it's written, it was fighting against um, the Arian heresy that Jesus was a, a creation of God. Um, and that, that's what this is fighting against. against. It's, it's talking about how the Jesus existed as the second member of the Trinity before all ages, is what this says. Before all ages, that's the key words. In other words, just like God the Father, he had no beginning. There was no beginning to Jesus Christ. So that's what, he's, that's what they're doing here, is, is fighting this heresy. They've always um, existed together perfectly in unity uh, since way, way before time. They've always they've been they've existed perfectly unified for all ages, which is one of the things that's hard for us to wrap our minds around is how that Jesus Christ and and God the Father and the Trinity uh, the, the the Holy Spirit uh, as the Trinity, how that they were perf so perfectly unified that they that they were lacking nothing. So they didn't have to create us. They didn't have to create human beings, and that's where my mind starts getting blown. Is, is like, wow, it's we're such we're such we're such, we're such trouble. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, when God created us, and we're not, we've been um, a rebellious creature ever since. But God knew exactly what He was doing, and He, you know, He made us anyway. That just shows His love, how much that He loves and cares for us. Um, you know that we say that that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or, you know, we refer to Jesus as the second member of the Trinity, it doesn't, it doesn't place him under the Father in any way. Um, all it does is it distinguishes him 
from the Father. And that's one of the things we need to, to understand when we start looking at the order and when we say that, that you know, God is, is the first member, Jesus is the second member, and the Holy Spirit is the third member. We're not saying this is the order in which they fall under. Um, we're just using this terminology to try to help us to distinguish the difference between the three of them, if that makes sense. So that way we don't fall into this Arian heresy that we're, that we're fighting about. They're, they're, um, they're, they're all equal in every way. They just have different roles to play. And um, what's interesting is even though God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit each have different roles to play, they're all involved in everything even though they, they stand apart in certain things, you know, uh, like Jesus Christ becoming flesh. But still, the Father and the Holy Spirit was involved in that. And in everything you look at, in the Holy Spirit's work, you look at the God the Father's work, there's always all three involved in that work somehow because they work together in perfect unity, which is, is so amazing. So when Jesus came to earth, he put himself under the Father because everything he didn't do anything without the Father telling him to Right. Okay. Yeah. Before that and after that, he was not under the Father. He was, whenever it talks about how that he was was under the Father, submissive to the Father, and he was wanting only wanting to do, you know, not my will but your will be done, that's just showing that unity that he has with God. It's not showing that he was somehow um, underneath God as though... Um, he was unwilling to do those things, but God was kind of forcing him. You know, that's not what it's showing. Because when we get into to, to trying to understand what we call Christology and, theo and theology, um, we understand that, that Jesus, and we're going to talk a little bit deeper about this tonight, Jesus didn't come sucking out of the universe. We know, we know that Jesus is omnipresent. So he didn't come sucking out of the universe into the, into the body of a man. So what he did was he took on um, the nature of man. He, t he added to himself um, man is what he did. So Jesus was still present in heaven. He was still omnipresent. He was still God, still perfectly united to God the Father. But um, he took on the, the, the role of a man. He was born as a real man. Uh, he was truly man, but he was also truly God. And so that's where it gets kind of confusing for us to understand. It's hard enough for us to understand the Trinity. And then when we start trying to understand the two natures of Christ, because he had two natures, and we're going to get into that a little bit deeper too. Um, it, it may not be tonight, but it'll probably be in a couple weeks we're going to get into that. Uh, it, it really is very difficult to understand. Um, it is, but they worked perfectly in unity, and everything that Jesus did... He was doing according to um, the purposes of the Trinity, of his own will, of God the Father's will, and God the Holy Spirit's will, if that makes sense. Does that, does that answer your question? A little bit. <laughs> okay. A little bit, not a little bit, yes. Yeah, it's, it's a hard concept to understand. It is, yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. A question. How was Christ begotten from the Father before all ages? Say that one more time. How was Christ begotten from the Father before all ages? Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Um, it says, begotten, not made of the same essence 
as the Father. So, that what is it? What does um, "begotten" not made? Why? Why are they using that language? So, again, this is this is fighting that Arian heresy that Jesus was created um, like Satan. So that's what that they they taught that Satan and Jesus were basically brothers originally, and um, they were both created, and uh, that's what. Um, that's why Jehovah's Witnesses still believe today. That's why, you know, if, you, if you've ever heard that song, I, I do not like this song, but I'm sure that many of you have heard it. Um, the Champion by Carmen. Have you guys ever heard that song? It, it, it was, it's an old song, so it was like back in the late 80s, maybe early 90s. A Christ, it was a, a Christian song. It's old. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Everybody looks like it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's been a few years ago. It's been a few years ago. It depicted Jesus and Satan in a boxing match. And so they were calling Jesus the champion. And so the whole song was Jesus and Satan in this boxing ring and Satan was hitting Jesus and Jesus was you know was looking bad and and all these things and so really that kind of falls into this Arianism that Jesus and Satan are somehow equals they're not they're not anywhere close to equals I mean if there was a a, a boxing match between Jesus and Satan I mean come on mm-hmm. uh, he would breathe on Satan and he would he would die I mean it was it's it's a ridiculous concept but it was probably one of the biggest Christian songs back then and he was one of the biggest Christian artists back then, Carmen, a guy named Carmen. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So, but to be begotten, it means um, the literal meaning of the word begotten means bringing forth the same nature. It means to, to bring forth the same nature or the same substance. That's what it means. So, begotten comes from um, a Greek word that's called monogenes. M-O-N-O, and then genus, G-E-N-E-S. That's the Greek word that begotten comes from. So monogenus, it has two primary definitions. It means, number one, the primary definition means being the only one of its kind within a specific relationship. So being the only one of its kind within a specific relationship. The second meaning means being the only one of its kind or class, comma, unique in kind. So that's what the word begotten means. And so that's why um, in John 1.14, John 1.14, I I don't know if I have that one on the board. I don't. I didn't write them all up there. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's where this language comes from, is from John 1.14. John 1.14, which is interesting, because if you look at, um, at John, it's saying that he uh, is the only begotten from the Father, but he also tells us that this begotten Son had no beginning. This begotten Son had no beginning, and this is found... Just prior to that, back in John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So if we, if we take you know, John 1, 2 and put it all in context to John 1, 14, we can see that Jesus is both begotten, 
from the Father, but also has no beginning. So that's interesting. That goes back to understanding that he is um, the only one of his kind, just as this word monogenous means, from, or begotten. It means. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Well, the, the phrase that has me confused is before all ages, and maybe it's as simple or complex as that God is timeless. Yes. And so... Yes, that's exactly right. He, he, what, what they're doing here is they're fighting that Arianism, saying that he was created. So they're saying, no, he, he wasn't created. There was no point in time that Jesus all of a sudden popped into the universe, popped into being. That he didn't exist before that. And yeah, he, he, yeah, he existed prior to time, prior to the beginning, prior to anything known, anything recorded. Uh, he's always existed with God perfectly in, in unity with the Father. So that's what they're doing with this statement, if that makes sense. Well, Jesus was begotten in human, I mean, Mary. Mm -hmm. the Holy yeah. Spirit came upon Mary and got Jesus. Yeah. That was for here on earth. Before, I mean, he was up there with God when they created this world. Yep. The universe that we Yeah. Made. And he still was even when Jesus was born. Yeah. That's what's so amazing. <laughs> yeah, that blows your mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's what that's why we talked talk about the the hypostatic union, and we talked about that uh, probably, I think, day one, uh, the hypostatic union, talking about how that um, God is truly, uh, that Jesus Christ was truly God and truly man at the same time, and not being able to be separated. And we're going to talk about this when we get to the Chalcedonian Creed, which we probably may talk about tonight. It'll either be tonight or be next week. We're going to get into the Chalcedonian Creed, which kind of clarifies some of this. Because there, there's one little part. Last week I mentioned that there was one little part in this, in this creed that I, I didn't really necessarily like the, the way that it was stated. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but that's it. That's the, that's the part that, um, that, that is a little, I think is a little confusing. But that's easy for me to say because hindsight is twenty twenty. So the heresies that came along later after this creed was written... Uh, they had to be fought by a different uh, church council. And so um, it's easy sitting here, you know, 2,000 years later and go, well, you know, they could have clarified that. They could have made that a little bit clearer, but they weren't facing those heresies yet. And that's, that goes back to that progressive revelation we talked about a few weeks ago, about how that the God, uh, the God um, his word is sufficient. The canon of scripture is closed and God does not um, add any more information to us because the canon is done. It's shut, it's closed, finished. But what he does is he allows certain heresies to come into the church so that we can progressively learn more and more about who he is. He uses heresy, he uses all things. All things work together for the good of those who love Christ, right? He uses heresy, he uses false teachers, he uses all kinds of things to help, help us uh, to get on our toes and to sharpen um, ourselves and our understanding of who he is. And that's what this, this church council did with uh, the, um, at Nicaea and all the other church councils all the way up until 
it started getting weird. Um, it wasn't bad in, until the, really the seventh church council. But five had a few things, and six had a few things that were not really heresy, but they started getting a little weird. Um, by the time you got to the seventh church council, we're talking Roman Catholic uh, doctrine, and it, it got really, her it was heresy at that point. It, uh, and so if you do any, any study on church history, it's really interesting to start to to look at each one of these church councils and, and kind of, you can see where they started drifting off. And you can see where the Roman Catholic doctrine started coming into the church. Um, and that's why we talked last week about the very last word in here where it says the, the Holy Catholic Church, that that doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. It means the church unified, the church universal, right? So we talked about that a little bit. Um, so what we're seeing here in this statement, begotten, not made, of the same essence, that's an important word. We talked about that word essence last week too, as the Father, um, that we see that this is a, that synonym for being. And we went through that big long thing last week of, of how that word being from the philosophers came about and how that um, Plato said that um, that there is only one being and everything else is a becoming because in, in Plato's mind there had to be something that had um, complete self-sustainability that depended on nothing. So like us as human beings that we call ourselves beings, Plato said we're not beings, we're becomings. And he said that because we have things that we have to have to sustain us. We have to have oxygen, we have to have water, we have to have food, you know, everything has to be just perfect for us to exist. And so in Plato's mind, there has to be something beyond that, something that, that has nothing that sustains it. He didn't, he didn't understand that was God. They referred that to as Logos. It was just this thing that was floating that everything got its being from, but that was in the mind of Plato. So that's where all that came from, if you remember back from what we talked about last week in my... Um, um, lack of being a great philosopher, but I give it a shot. So <laughs> give it a shot to try to help. Because some this is relative for, for us to understand this uh, this church council and how that um, and even John when we see start seeing John use the word logos, it's 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 relative to help us to sharpen understanding of of how deep um, that some of these concepts and ideas are uh, from scripture. And also uh, how the, these church councils got some pulled some of that stuff from philosophy too. So, so it's kind of it's interesting to me anyway. Um, and this is kind of interesting if we look at Hebrews. I want to look at Hebrews one real quick, talking about this. Hebrews chapter one. It says, starting in verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact reputation representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power when he had made 
purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. So there we saw, we saw that word begotten again. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of, of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? But... Of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth. So this is relative to what we we're talking about. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish. But you remain, and they will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So here we talk a little bit more about how that Jesus Christ, it talks about here how he was um, begotten. In verse uh, 5, you are my son, today I have begotten you, um, which is, is coming from this. He wasn't made, he wasn't a creature, he, he's actually the one who created. He's the, he's the creator, he's, he's the creator. Um, which is, uh, is something interesting. It's very interesting because in this creed, the next line... It says, through him, all things were made. That's through Jesus Christ, all things were made. Now, this is interesting if you look at line one. Because line one of this creed says that God the Father was the maker of heaven and of earth. So why does it say here that through Jesus, all things were made? But in line one it says... That God the Father is the maker of heaven and earth. Any, any thoughts on that? Showing their unity, isn't it? It goes back to that thing that we talked about earlier, how that certain members we see, we, we can see how that they have kind of, for lack of better words, a bigger role in certain things, but each one of them are involved, Right? They're all, all of the Trinity is involved in every working of God in some way. And so we can see that all through Scripture, if that makes sense. So that's why that when you, when you look at this, it says, God the Father made all things. And it says, well, Jesus Christ made all things <coughs> in the same creed, right? So I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that, but it's interesting. So again, you know, the church here in this line is, fi is fighting that Arianism, um, that Jesus was not made. He's not a creature. We just read about that in Hebrews. But through him, through Jesus Christ, all things were made. So this is showing that unity of God the Father and the Son uh, in the creation of the universe, in the creation narrative, right? And so if, um, 
if Jesus were created, he could he couldn't have have died. And this is this is an important this is a really important point. If Jesus was a creature, if Jesus was a creation, if he was made by God, how could he pay for the sins of a creature? Right? A creature can't can't pay for the sins of a creature. It had to be God. God himself is the only one that can pay for the sins of of mankind. A, a creature can't do it. It has to be God because it, we we can get into some deep theology on understanding why that hell is eternal. Hell is a real place, um, and it's because we sin against an eternal God. Our sin is against an eternal God, and the only fitting the only fitting punishment for sinning against an eternal God is an eternal punishment. And so, in order for the, the sins of a creature who has sinned eternally against an eternal God, they have to be paid for by God himself. He's the only one that can pay for those. He's the only one that can pay for the sins of mankind. He had, it had to be Jesus Christ. It couldn't have been an angel. It couldn't have been any created being in, in, the, in the universe. It had to be God himself who came to die for our sins. Had to be God Himself. So that's a that's a very very important point. Um, in Colossians, I've got a actually. Does somebody want to read this? Colossians one thirteen through seventeen. I've been talking a lot. So one thirteen through seventeen. Yep. Colossians one thirteen through seventeen. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Yeah, that's... That is such a huge concept. I mean, it is it is a, a, an amazing concept, and that goes back to this creed where it says, "Through him all things were made." But in Colossians, it, it's even beyond that. My version says in and that last line in verse seventeen, it says, "And in him all things hold together." Literally, Jesus Christ. He didn't just create and then just kind of leave his universe kind of floating and just kind of sit back, folded his arms to see what happens. That's what deism teaches. If you ever hear of uh, deism, that that's a teaching that that's what God did. He create he made he made the world. He made his creatures, kind of as a science experiment. And then he sits back, crosses his arms, and goes, "Hmm, this is going to be interesting. This will be entertaining." But this says that. He holds us together. He holds us literally together, his whole creation. If Jesus wasn't at work, that's why we say if Jesus for a second took a nap, the whole universe would go out of existence. We would not exist. We would literally go into molecules because Jesus Christ holds his creation together. He's actively involved working, holding us together, holding this earth, this universe together. That's an amazing concept that we see here in Colossians. 
It's Dude, really cool. It says the firstborn of all creation. It says the firstborn of all creation. What does it mean? So this, we're going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, um, and we're going to talk about it a little bit later. But <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll give you a hint on that. Not only does it say that um, he was the firstborn of all creation, but it also talks um, in, uh, in Revelation and other books of how that he was the firstborn from the dead, right? So here we see... Um, Hebrew, we see some Hebrew language in the way that um, that you, in order to understand some of these concepts, you have to kind of go back and, and see what um, what the Jews understood as a firstborn son. So what, in Jewish culture, how important was the firstborn son and what did that mean? They got all the inheritance. Yeah, yeah. They had the rights to, to everything, right? Um, if you was a second born, born son or a third born son, I mean, you you were really much lower, lo- you, were, you were much lower looked at in, in rank. You, you're not the one that inherited everything from the father. The father gave everything to the first born son. Uh, so it, this is just showing, it's using some Hebrew language to show um, how Im- Im- important that Christ is. And you have to kind of use that to, but, but, um, this is one of the things that these Aryans use, you know, saying this and that he was the firstborn from the dead and stuff like that. They say, well, he was a creature. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. So um, it says, the next line here says, for us and for our, our salvation, he came down from heaven. And this comes from John 6. 38. Does anybody want to read John 6, 38? Jacob, would you read that? John 6, 38. This is, this is the language um, coming straight, straight from the Bible. We'll talk a little bit about this. John, no, John 6, 38. Yeah, it should, I think it's, yeah, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's where this language came from. So to, uh, John six thirty eight says, For I have come down from heaven. And that's where this language comes from. It says, For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Now, this we talked a few weeks about anthropomorphic language and how the God uh, communicates to us in ways that we can understand. Well, this is something we can understand. We can look at this and we can, we can understand that Jesus Christ, he's not from here, right? He, he's not uh, part of this creation. He, he's, he's something that's outside of this created uh, world that we know of. It's, it's uh, something that, that he's communicating to us um, that's it's a simple concept. It's a simple concept for us to understand. And we, we kind of, we go back to that um, if we really dig into this, we know that, that Jesus is omnipresent, that he isn't confined to a, a certain place. But that's what he's ta- doing here is he's telling us that um, he's, he's not from this world. He's not from this world. And he's doing that in a way that we can understand. So he's not a, a part of his creation. He's not a created being. Um, he wasn't created, but he became one of us. 
that's another very difficult um, concept for us to understand that he became one of us. And this is, uh, this is better clarified in the next creed that we're going to talk about, which is the Chalcedonian Creed, and we're going to look at it in a minute. So he, uh, he took on the nature of man. He, he added himself. He added to himself the nature of man is, is, is kind of the way that it, uh, the Chalcedonian Creed talks about it. So it's very difficult. And one of my favorite doctrines to talk, to talk about, it's, 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 uh, it's something that's very interesting. And it says that he did this for our salvation. So for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. Um, and so if God had not become truly man, then we could not have truly been saved. And that's what we talked about earlier. It, it had to be God. He had to come be one of us. He had to enter into his creation as a creature, as a, as a man, just like us, exactly like us, um, in order to die for us so that we could be made right. He had to pay for our sins. He had to pay for the sins um, that started with Adam. When we talk about original sin, that's Adam. But beyond original sin, which was imputed to us, all of all of Adam's offspring is what it talks about in Romans chapter 5. So we're guilty of Adam's sin. But not only that, but we pile our own sin on top of that. You know, and that's what it talks about. So we're, we're guilty of all that. So Jesus came, and he became one of us to pay for that. So that's, uh, that's, that's, a, that's really important for us to understand. But I, I do like the way that this is, uh, is stated. And then the next line says, He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. So, Jesus became incarnate. God became man um, by the work of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary is what this is talking about. Um, so, this creed brings the third member of the Trinity in right here at this point. Um, we see the third member, um, and he's not, uh, he's not, you know, again, given any um, importance of, uh, of degrees of importance, but showing this unified work of the Holy Spirit that was involved um, in Jesus Christ becoming one of us, being incarnate, becoming uh, truly man, and showing at the same time that the Trinity can't be separated, that all three are involved in every work, but they play distinctive roles like we've been talking about. But this is where that I start getting a little nitpicky again, hindsight 2020, about I wish they would have um, <coughs> said something a little different, and it, this is better clarified in the Chalcedonian Creed where it, it says that that last part where it says, and was made human, and was made human um, so again this was written before other other heresies came into the church so it's easy to get um, to get picky about this saying that he was made human because he wasn't just made human right he um, he took on the nature of man right it, and so it, this is 
Uh, he didn't come, again, sucking out of the universe into the body of a man. And just, you know, and he was not omnipresent. He was no longer God. He was just a man walking on the planet that was kind of filled with God. And that's another heresy that comes up later, by the way, um, where the, they say that Jesus was kind of like a, um, a bot, like a, 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 a God that, that fits into a, a glove, that the body of, of Jesus Christ was just a vessel. It wasn't truly human. So that's another heresy that comes along later as part of why that the Chalcedonian Creed gets written too. So, um, But again, that's really the only part of this creed that I have a little bit of a problem with. But I, it's not that I disagree with it and I say, oh, this is, you know, I'm not going to get real picky on it. I still think it's a great creed. Um, so, and this, but this is later clarified because more heresies. And then the next um, part here says he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and was buried. So this again is just showing that he was truly God. He was really actually a man. And he really actually died. That's one of the things Brandon talked about today too. I've heard, I have heard people you know, say, well, I've actually heard a pastor say this behind, a, behind the pulpit one time. Um, that Jesus didn't have to actually die. You know, that, um, that he could have just you know, poked his finger and drop a blood on the cross and that would have done it, you know, that would have wiped out the sins of mankind. But I think Brandon nailed it today whenever he talked about Jesus had to die. He had to be crushed by God. God was pleased to crush him, is what, is what Brandon talked about this morning, um, because he had to take that, that, he had to drink the cup of God's wrath that was aimed at us and the wages of sin is what? His death. His death. Jesus had to die. It didn't just take a drop of his blood, like I've heard people say. He had to die. He had to die. Um, and that is really good news for us. That's really good news for us. Um, and if you remember, um, this is also fighting Gnosticism, that Jesus didn't have a physical body. Um, they believed that he was a phantasm. That's, that's the word that they used. A phantasm. He wasn't actually um, a human. He didn't have a human body because if he... Gnostics said, well, everything material is evil. So if Jesus had a real body, he'd be evil. So he couldn't have had a real body. He had to be some kind of a spirit. or We just thought that he was... He appeared to be human, but he was just a phantasm. That's what they said. So this is kind of fighting this and showing that Jesus had a real body and he really died. He actually died. He had to 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 um, to pay for our sins. And he was killed under Pontius Pilate, as it says here, and he suffered and he was actually buried. Um, he was literally buried. His body was literally buried. So a phantasm doesn't get buried. Some spirit, you know, some non-body, right, doesn't get buried but a, a real body does. And then the next line says, the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Um, I think this is really, this is really amazing when you start, when you start thinking about it. Um, we can see that, we understand that the grave could not hold Jesus Christ. And it was, um, we know that Jesus was God. 
But also, going back to what we just said, the wages of sin, the key word, sin, is death. Did Jesus ever sin? No. Jesus never sinned. Jesus was imputed our sins. He bore our sins. That's what, that's what Scripture says. Our sins was imputed to Christ on the cross. He didn't commit them. He bore them. So death had no victory over him, even in that, much less him being God. And he imputed upon us his perfect righteousness. And so that's what is called the great exchange. That is that amazing doctrine of imputation. That our sins, all of the bad things that we've ever done, was imputed upon Christ at the cross. And his perfect righteousness was imputed to us. Um, another, uh, Again, great news. This, this is really, really good news for us. So, And we know... Um, from reading scripture that his body lay in the ground for three days um, and then he came walking out with the glorified body and this goes to that point um, in Colossians 1 18 and in Revelation chapter chapter 1 it talks about Jesus being the firstborn of the dead um, firstborn from the dead um, this means that he was the firstborn the first person who who was a real human being who came out of the ground with a glorified body. That's what that's literally what this means. Whenever you see that he was the firstborn from the bed, from the dead, there was no other human even still today until the second coming of Christ who has a glorified body. Jesus is still today the only man who's truly man who has a glorified body. And we can see that through uh, scripture because there's certain points where it appears that he walks through walls and, you know, he, but it's interesting because he also eats, you know, he's able to, to consume food with the disciples and, and then he just goes flying up, you know, <laughs> ascends to heaven, you know, so there's, yeah, and there's, there's times that he appears and then he disappears and so we can see this, um, Jesus, he was, he was different after, after he came, after he was raised from the dead on the third day, right? So, any thoughts or questions on that so far? Or anything else we've talked about so far? We're talking about some big concepts because there's a lot of big concepts in this um, in this creed, but they're all really important for us to understand. And that's the next point. It says he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Who wants to read Mark sixteen nineteen? Mark sixteen nineteen. Any volunteers? Yeah. Okay. It says after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. He sat at the right hand of God. So here we see how that he was ascended and was seated at the right hand of God. And then Acts one nine through eleven. Has anybody got this? If any, if any guys want to start kind of loading some of this stuff in your Bibles and get ready to read, that'd be great. But Luke, uh, or I'm sorry, Acts. Let's look at Acts one nine through eleven real quick. Does anybody want to read that? Give me a minute to find it. I'll read that. Okay. Nine through eleven. Nine through eleven. 
After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And that's the day we look forward to, and then that's the day we look forward to. We can't wait to that day. So that's where this language comes from. A lot of this language we, we see is taken straight out of the Bible. The next, next line of this creed says, He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. Now, which book of the Bible kind of leaps out at you, at you when, when I read this line? <laughs> is there any book that kind of jumps out at you when I, I say that, you know, He's coming again to judge the living and the dead? Revelation. Revelation. That's that's what the whole book is talking about, right? So I'm not going to read the book of Revelation. <laughs> so you guys can read it yourself. Uh, but that's where this language comes from. Uh, and the next point says, His kingdom will never end. So Luke 1, 32-33. Has anybody got that one pulled up? He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Yeah, exact language taken right out of this scripture. His kingdom will have no end. This is one of the things that brings us hope as believers. We are promised by God himself. Um, that we're going to have eternal life if we belong to Christ, if we're in Jesus Christ. We're going to have eternal life. Um, but also, we understand that nobody's ever going to overthrow God. His kingdom is going to last forever. There's Who's going to overthrow God? Is there another God greater than our God? Uh, no. His kingdom, whenever he says, my kingdom is going to last forever, it's going to last forever. This brings us great hope. Great joy. This is one of the things, you know, we say that the only people that really have hope and really have joy in life are Christians. And that's because our hope and our joy is based on reality. It's based on reality. It's based on faith. And, and what we say, you know, like Rick said this morning, whenever he was in here, if he was in Sunday school, he said, our faith isn't blind. Our faith is based on something. And what's it based on? What's our faith based on? Word of God. Absolutely. We don't have blind faith. We, we, know that what, that we know who God is, and we know that we can believe every word that He says. And then whenever He says, you're going to have eternal life, and my kingdom is not ever going to end, so you don't have anything to worry about, that gives us great hope. That gives us great joy. That's something the world doesn't have. The, the, this, this world can only hope in moment-to-moment things. <laughs> From moment to moment, that's it. That's that's all they have hope in. You know, this is going much slower than I thought it was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I well, guess I. I know. <laughs> I was, you know, I really anticipated getting through all this. I guess I overestimated myself. Um, we're already out of time. I cannot believe this. So I, I thought we were going to get all the way to the Chalcedonian Creed, but we're not. 
Um, yeah, but these are these are important things, and we we'll get through some more of this um, if you guys want to. We can we can we can finish this up next week, or we can jump into the. Okay, let's finish it. Okay, that's what we'll do, and then and we'll I promise we'll get through it next week, and then we'll get we'll move on. So, um, any other thoughts or questions or words of wisdom, Rick? Well. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's interesting. Uh, he is the only begotten of God. I think that's why he took the title of the Son of Man, uh, because it was so shocking that he did it. Yeah. From the heavens perspective. And that really is an amazing thing to me on this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Pharisees could. They refused to believe that that's how it could happen. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when you start really thinking about these things and thinking about who God is and what He's done for us, who He is, and it's endless. I mean, it really is the depth of God and understanding who He is, and and it's He. he this is intentional. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a reason that our lives are you know eighty, ninety years. You know, we're on this quest, and this this is a quest. The Christian life is a quest of, for truth, and that's what we're trying to do in this class. We want to, we're trying to, to 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 get all the information we can because we truly want to know what what's really true. You know, that's what Christianity's about. We're the only ones that knows um, reality. Everything else is just false ideology from Satan. That's what all other world religions are. They're they're straight from the devil. He does anything that he can do to try to get us pulled away or distracted from what is real, from what is true. And so that's why that um, so many the church we can see throughout church history has always faced Satan's attacks on us, trying to distort the Trinity, trying to distort the nature of Christ, um, trying to do everything that he can do to try to, to confuse us. Um, but we're not going to let him. We're going to keep on pressing in and trying to understand, and um, and do the, the the best that we can. And so that's that's what we're called to do. Any other thoughts? Just uh, to tie all this into current events a little bit, uh, I did a cross reference a minute ago to look up where this is my son, who you know. And it comes from Psalm 2. At the way Psalm 2 begins is really cool. It says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. And the Lord holds them in derision. Yeah. So that's how far He is above what we see here that could be frightening. And yeah. You know, I mean, He's got it. He's got it. That's the that's a great that's a great way to put it. He's got it. <laughs> he absolutely does. All right. Very good. Um, Rick, you wanna you wanna close us?